You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're talking with Colonel Carla Bass, founder of Right to Influence and author of a book by the same name. Carla will be talking with us about why every boss needs a staff that can write effectively, how to banish bureaucratic blather. I love that. And she'll also be sharing some practical tips for improving your writing skills. I'm super excited to hear her thoughts on this important aspect of our work lives. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. You're listening to (laughs) Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Colonel Carla Bass. Thank you for the opportunity to address your listeners. I'm super excited to have you here as an attorney and someone who loves words and writes for a living. Um, I'm so excited to hear what you have to say. But before we get started, why don't you tell our listeners a bit about you and what you do? Sure. Um, I spent 30 years active duty, um, Air Force Intelligence. I was one of the few women of my generation to actually make that rank. And I've spent the last 10 years, actually 12, working for another federal agency. So what that means is for the last 40 years, I have written for generals and ambassadors, the White House and Congress for audiences for whom every single second counts and every word has to matter. And so that's that's what I teach people to do nowadays when I'm not doing the day job. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm getting a bit of an education myself. I've gone from litigating and writing briefs to working more with business owners who want things super brief. <laughs> I'm a pretty brief writer myself, but uh, I'm learning a whole new level of how to be even more concise and even more uh, persuasive. It's very interesting. So I want to know, though, what inspired you to write this wonderful book you have, Write to Influence? Thank you. Um, when I was a lieutenant colonel, I was based in Hawaii, and I was a squadron commander of 480 people, young, talented folks. When I arrived, it was the most losing unit in the state for professional quarterly and annual awards. What that meant was that the folks were doing just tremendous work, but because their bosses, the immediate supervisor, couldn't write a compelling nomination package, they weren't winning. Because they didn't win, they didn't get the advanced promotions, the pay raises that affected families and the ability to, uh, to send kids to college and all sorts of ripple effects. So I took three days' personal vacation. I sequestered myself in a beach cabin, analyzed my writing, and that's where I developed what I called word sculpting and, and the, the methodology. So I taught my folks how to write. And in short terms, we started 
sweeping the awards. I mean, we won all of them. And the other units on the island asked if I could teach them how to write as well. And what really just blew me away is that the vacuum. I ended up teaching uh, word sculpting and write to influence now for 15 years to thousands of people because wherever my subsequent assignments took me, word sculpting followed right along. And, um, and the, the lessons that I, look, I took from that, my battle cry is powerful writing changes lives because it does. You could be the best at whatever you're doing, but if someone else is, is more prolific or proficient in, in writing, you lose. And it's also the lifeblood of effective organizations. So it all began with that squadron in Hawaii. That's, it, that's really interesting. I love that. And I love this word sculpting. So tell me a little bit more about what, what, do you, what, you're, what you're talking about when you say word sculpting. Sure. The, uh, think like an inverted triangle right now. The, the, the first part of the book and the first, way, the first uh, principle in teaching it is you have to strategize the message. The bottom part, the pointy end of the triangle, is where the word sculpting comes into play. So, you know, poof, you're a sculptor, you're in Paris, you've got the, the beret and the eight-foot chunk of granite. Because you're a master sculptor, you know the image that's lying dormant in the granite. And so chisel, 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 lost rebel on the floor, there's your image. With word sculpting, you do the initial draft, you've got your draft, and then I have ten tools um, and we can talk about those a little bit later in our discussion here. But, but applying these ten tools sentence by sentence, you sculpt out the useless words, the words that hog space, the redundancies. Now, there are all these things equate to the bureaucratic blather. And when you're done, you've reduced your, your writing by, I don't know, it could be as much as 40%, but you've got a hard-hitting, compelling message and you've bought yourself more space because you got rid of all that rubble. You now have more space to be able to continue to make your case. So that's word sculpting. That's, that's interesting. I like that idea. I love the imagery. Uh, is this really true? You really do need to get it all out there and look at it and then start chunking away at it. That's kind of how we yep. do it legal writing as well. You kind of get it all out of your head, get it on the paper, and then start then start really focusing, and then there's a little bit of advocacy in the, in the issue as well. So I think that's really interesting. You said the lifeblood of uh, effective businesses. Um, tell me, tell me what you think. I want to I want to talk a little bit more about, uh, delve into that a little bit more. But I also kind of want to get your thoughts on how do you think businesses are being impacted now by by the forms of communication that we're using. So I was just away with some. Uh, uh, colleagues this weekend, and we were sort of talking about the the communications that we're receiving. So the emails, the way people are communicating within emails, and um, the the idea that we're getting these long emails with no punctuation, no paragraphs, um, text messages the same way, and how it really impacts what you're saying. That half the time you can't really understand what someone's saying when it's not written correctly. Oh, we are so definitely speaking the same language. Okay, um, I, I, let, me, let me start with, a, I was going to originally just dive into the why a boss needs um, a staff who can write, but let me preface that with, imagine, imagine a white rectangle. 
and and then put the word opportunity, big bold letters in that white rectangle. And the message here is that every single writer, regardless of whether you're composing an email or, or a report, every writer is constrained by two things. You're constrained by the reader's time. We are all busy. Uh, and, and we know what it takes to capture our attention as a reader. Tick, 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 tick. So you have to capture and retain the reader's attention. That is leveraging the time. And then the space. Uh, many documents are space-constrained, whether you're limited by the number of words, give me your performance review, or input your performance review in a 1,000 characters, uh, describe your, your product in, in, in 500 words, whatever it is, space is also a very limiting factor. So the author who leverages time and space the best wins. Um, one of the other uh, word sculpting techniques is the horse before the cart. You need to identify what the most important part of the message is and, and raise that to the very top so that if you lose the reader's attention in the first 30 or 45 seconds, you at least got the main point across. So if you triage your thoughts, most important part first, and then the backup information, the subsequent backup information as an oh, by the way. But you have to actually, you have to outline the journey that you're trying to take the reader on. Now, as far as why, why a boss needs a staff that can write, why does this even matter? You have to be able to compose products for competitive bids or, or grants. Uh, you have to be able to make a compelling story if you're competing your business or your people for award programs. If you want to broadcast good news, you just want a contract, you, whatever the good news is, you have to be able to, uh, to package it in a way that's captivating. It, it sells the story. Um, if you're trying to defend your castle, in other words, resources are tight. We're all threatened with budget cuts. Can you defend your resources, making the case why don't cut me? Or if your mission is expanding and you've got a really good case to go out and advocate for more resources, all of these require hard-hitting, concise, and precise writing. And one other is if you're trying to extend your influence, if you're trying to talk other people or organizations to partner with you in a common cause, again, you have to explain in very, very concise, persuasive language that's cognizant of the time and space um, principle. Uh, and, and those are all the reasons that you need to write powerfully nowadays. I, I completely agree with that as you're talking and thinking about this idea that from a business perspective, the, the way that we, I think we as consumers consume information just from that aspect of it. If you're looking to hire someone, whether it's a business or you're looking to do business with an organization, first thing you're going to do is look them up and you're going to see what are they writing about themselves um, and what are those within the organization what are they writing? Because now so many organizations have, they're putting out white papers or they're, you know, publishing articles, whatever it might be. And if you start to read those, if they are poorly written, mm -hmm. it's such a turnoff. And I don't know whether that's because we have such high expectations or this idea that we are a very edu well-educated nation. I think, you know, the more people going to college than ever and getting basic skills, at least in writing. So uh, that's one thing a college education says about you. 
Well, well, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in on that one because I think, and it's no ding on the teachers. I'm always so very careful about no ding on the teachers. I think academia across the board has let us down in that even even students getting into college, the high school kids who've done AP English and aced it, or the the, the kids that come out of college into grad school or even grad school graduates, we the system is no longer teaching them how to I, I describe it as writing skinny. They're they're not taught how to write uh, powerfully. Um, the the whole methodology is give me a five thousand word paper on whatever, and and the immediate uh, visceral reaction is okay if I can give a little bit of meat and a lot of fluff I can make the five thousand word mark. The problem is that's eight years worth of learning the exact wrong approach. They're developing the exact wrong muscle. So when people get into the young kids, get into the workforce, they have no clue. And the employers are desperately seeking people who can write like this. And that's my niche. That's, that's, you know, I sometimes feel like Don Quixote, but, but people like <laughs> you, the folks who are, who are, who are seeking to find this skill all agree. So, so that's what I that's what I teach is how you can strategize your message and then hone it so that you make every word count. Well, I want to ask you a question about that, but we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to I want to follow up on that when we get back. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to follow up on that. We're going to hear some of Carla's thoughts on banishing bureaucratic blather. I just love that. <laughs> She's going to give us some practical tips for improving your writing skills. So stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm more resourceful than I thought. My suit can still make an impression. My video games are still game changers. And my lamp can bring others a bright future. Because when I donate my stuff to Goodwill, it helps fund job placement and training for people right in my community. Now my stuff gets a second chance. And will give someone in my community a second chance too. Goodwill. Donate stuff. Create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. That's Goodwill.org. This message brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us. Like us. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us, and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking about the importance of writing to influence with author Colonel Carla Bass. Carl, I want to ask you, I, I have a feeling you're, you're going to say no, because you the, the way that you are, I'm sure you love words and you love wordsmithing and all of that. But with kind of what you said about the schools and everything and, and what I'm seeing from a, a business perspective, do you think that writing kind of as we know it is on the way out? I would rather you, I'd, I'd wager you'd say no, but I, I'm interested to hear what you think. Well, the writing is as I was taught. The writing that I am of, of which I'm a proponent, it's suffering, which is why which is why this for me has become a calling. Um, and, and the reason it's suffering is because, like I said, that the school says someone didn't teach the teachers about 15 years ago, and and the further we remove from this base. This base understanding, the more diluted it becomes, and and twittering and Facebook and and social media that hasn't helped at all. 
Yeah, I don't think but so either. Bureaucratic bladder. Let me give you an example. Yes, I want to talk about that. Bladder. Okay, so the, the, and this this was a real example. I didn't make it up. The corporation will use a synchronized partner relationship knowledge management capability to enable the strategic data driven decisions regarding partners and partnerships. Okay, what? Oh my God, that 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 doesn't even say anything. Okay, so my techniques. I've actually used that before. After reading that, that was kind of a word filler. I'm like, oh, you just have to throw some words in there like that. I've actually done that. It hurts my head. I know. This is an example of what I call noun upon noun upon noun upon noun. It, It is endemic. It is ubiquitous. Partner relationship, knowledge management capability, or another example, um, oh, where is it? I had it written down here. But the point is, it's it's too many nouns on top of each other. So don't do that. <laughs> the, the, the next example is verbs. This is my number two word sculpting technique. Now imagine a hard boiled egg. Seriously, you got it? Yep. Okay. Now make that sucker six foot tall. What you're focusing in now is on the yolk. The yolk in that hard-boiled egg is the verb. The white surrounding it is all the bureaucratic blather that we we uh, suffocate the verbs with. So, for example, provide a demonstration, demonstrate. Reduce the amount of time, expedite. Conduct, Conduct oversight, oversee. Provide contribution, contribute. You get it? Yep. Yep. Okay, so just imagine the the yoke and go for the yoke. Hog space, that's number three, I think. The idea uh, behind don't use words at hog space is instead of saving several words to convey one, go for the one. Example, at the present time is presently. Those who attend, attendees. Take you up on, I accept. Talk about discuss prior to that previously so that's the don't use words that hog space example um redundancy there are words that that are already inferred in the sentence and and these words will surreptitiously sneak into your writing so you really have to be aware (laughs) of them and i just now used a redundancy surreptitiously sneak Sneak. So, so when you're going through and you're, and you're word sculpting sentence by sentence, these are some of the things of which you should be aware, and, and you can just sculpt them out, and all of a sudden that's how you end up with the, the really fine honed product. Useless words. This is actually the number one, the most important of all. Um, there is, there are. In a sentence that begins with there is, there are, if you look hard, uh, you'll find a real subject and a real verb. Rarely do I use there is, there are. Uh, provide with. Provide is a, a good, solid, transitive verb. It takes a direct object. Never do you have to say with. You provide me an opportunity to address your listeners. I provide you some information about the book. Skip the with. So when you're into uh, writing in a truly space-constrained situation, these little extra words, with is six spaces, that makes a big difference. On a daily basis, that one drives me nuts. Just say daily. How often do we hear that? Just, just say daily. In order to, you hardly ever have to say in order. Moving forward, more bureaucratic blather. Moving forward, we will. 
Well, we will already connote future tense, so I could go on and on, but those are some of the techniques. <laughs> you can go on. I, I, I love it. I'm loving it. I, one okay. of the things the, I've the, always had a problem with, my study partner in law school used to always, we used to laugh. She was one of the most concise writers I've ever met. And she would read my notes and say, you are uh, amazing at writing the same thing three different ways. Because I, <laughs> I would say it one way, then I'd find another way to say it another way. But one of my things I've had to really stop is the, the prefacing. Uh, uh, although, now, uh, you know, uh, nonetheless, furthermore, that's a terrible legal mm-hmm. one. But to take those out, because you really, once you start to subtract, you see they add no value. Yep. Because you don't need to. No, on, on. But do you think that has You're to do right. with, with speaking formally? I always thought that my writing tends to be very formal. And I think some of those things get caught up in that formality. But do you think that being more concise, does does that diminish the formality? Or do you think it improves it? I think it improves it. I mean, and, and you can be formal, but you can also be concise. And if you look at it from the audience's perspective, from the reader's perspective, like you know, look at it as you the the golden rule do unto others. You appreciate brevity and and conciseness. So I mean, it, and it doesn't mean you're rude. You don't have to have all sorts of of, uh, of flowery words so that you you know you don't risk risk offending the reader. If you it, too many flowery words, you're not going to have a reader left to offend because that fish is going to have swum away from the hook. Okay, you've you've lost the audience. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. You, I think you talk in your book about um, sort of taking control, the way for an employee to kind of take control of the conversation in a couple different areas. I think one was resumes, the other was performance reviews. But we've just got a few minutes left. Can you, can you kind of talk a little bit about that as an, empl- as an employee, how you sort of take control of the conversation with regard to those those sorts of um, outlets? Sh- uh, sure. Uh, control the conversation from the perspective of a job interview. That's where the conversation part comes in. Strategize your message beforehand. Before you walk into that interview, know three hip pocket, very short messages you want to leave behind, the echoes you want to leave behind as the door closes behind you. Think about this and have them already lined up so you actually can control the conversation. Uh, but you have to you have to strategize in it about it in advance. As far as uh, performance reviews, people abhor when the boss says, "Hey, please give me your input." So the first thing I tell folks is pretend you're writing about somebody else. So you you you, you eliminate this ego thing, and then. Uh, keep track of what you do day to day and the impacts. Emphasize the so what. Uh, what happened as a result of, of what you contributed. Um, prioritize and triage. Uh, what the things that you did? What were the effects? Did you affect other divisions, other people, uh, other organizations? Did you set new benchmarks? And the further the ripples go, the higher up that should go in your in in the information that you uh, that you you put forward. Um, frame the story. Details make a huge difference. So instead of saying uh, develop three orientation handbooks, say uh, orientation handbooks, 80 pages each, um, help the onboarding of 500 people in a six-month period. So you see how the details just kind of make a story pop. 
Uh, keep track of any um, accolades that you get, any compliments from customers. Um, and depending on from whom they come, the higher up, the more weight they might carry. You can actually include a, a short um, quote if, if you've got something like that. That's a wonderful golden nugget to put in, um, in your input to the personal appraisal. And as far as resumes, verbs, hard-hitting verbs, uh, here are some examples of, of how not to do it. Responsible for, solely responsible for, provide coordination, coordinates, provided support. Instead, say developed, implemented, interacted with, created, composed, integrated. Okay, so the, the other, the verbs I said how not to, all those do is beg the question, what did you do? Right. And, and once, once you have the reader asking, what did you do, you, you've lost the audience. And then if I have time for one more, one more, one more. tip on the risk. Okay. Is, um, the, write your resume targeting the employer. What are the employer's needs? I can help you because I can instead of hire me because I'm good at. I love it. I love it. Carla, you have given us so much information. This has been great. And I know we could go on and on and I would love to, but that's Uh, our show for today. Yep, my website is rightinfluence.net. Lots of articles I published on the uh, on the media page. Lots more information there. Absolutely. Uh, again, if so, if you want to learn more about Carla or her book, Right to Influence, you can find her on the web at righttoinfluence.net. That's W-R-I-T-E-T-O-I-N-F-L-U-E-N-C-E dot net. You can also connect to Carla via our website at sapphirelegal.com slash podcast. I want to also thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night, and Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire, our engineer producer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you, Carla, and thank all of you for joining us on Workplace Perspective. And until next time, keep raising the bar.